right, all right, all right. Here we are, Anthony Smith, remote life once again. <laughs> That's Thank right. You, COVID. So, um, <laughs> this is Freedomics, uh, and we're remote, and I'm excited to jump into this. Yeah. Yeah. So Freightonomics, for those of you that have not listened to our show before, this is the show where we combine uh, the freight market uh, and what's going on in that with the macroeconomic environment. as They are all connected in one big lump of economic activity. I'm Zach Strickland, director of freight market intelligence here at Freightways. And as you saw before, lead economist Anthony Smith sitting over there. Anthony, uh, before we get going, uh, do you want to tell the viewers about any social media presence that you may have? Definitely. I mean, I'm on Macro Freight on Twitter, but as always, you can catch out any of our content on tv.freightways.com. And we also have a lot of events that are always happening. So live.freightways.com, check out all of our events there. But yeah, mostly LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, I've been told to really start to engage more and more on Twitter. But so that's where I'm at. Zach, you? Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn mainly. Uh, Twitter, you know, not 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 a great presence there, but that's on me. I got a few other uh, avenues that uh, that keep me relatively busy. Uh, so, are we monitoring anybody online today, or is that uh, going to happen? Are we monitoring anyone online? Yeah, yeah. Are we getting the chat, the chat feed today? Oh, you know what? <laughs> yeah. How can I forget about my LinkedIn yeah, fam? Yeah. So I will <laughs> be on LinkedIn. <laughs> Welcome As to the always, show, Anthony Smith. Going to be joining in on those chats. Zach, thanks for, for reminding me. I have it pulled up here. So definitely, if you see me look away, I'm not being rude. I am going to be looking at LinkedIn chat, which is right over here. And we already have quite a few people in there. So if you are watching live, we are streaming at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time right now. And it's on Wednesday. So uh, yeah, I'll jump in on the conversation at any moment. And we'll be sure to give you a nice little shout out. And then Get your points heard. Yeah, welcome to the show, Anthony. So, we do, uh, you know, we do, we are going to get things going pretty quickly today because we do have a lot to cover. Uh, so we've had a lot happening. You know, we haven't been on the air for a few weeks, uh, and there's a lot going on out there. And I think we have the new rumblings, or I wouldn't say new rumblings, but we've talked about this with Zach Rogers in the past. Uh, but inflation, <laughs> it's it's a constant concern when you have this type of environment. Uh, where we do have a lot of government intervention, a lot of money coming into play, uh, <clears throat> and the economy being out of sync for a little bit, what is that going to do to overall prices? And we're going to dive into that uh, here in a little bit. But the main uh, you know, focus of the day is going to be around increase in prices, transportation, of course, being one of those, the winter weather event that occurred here in a, you know, a, oh, just over a month ago now, and it's still being felt throughout a lot of uh, the freight market. But Let's dive into a few stories of the day first. Uh, let's get things started. The first one that I have here is strong LTL market still has some bumps in the road, written by Todd Maiden on FreightWaves.com. Uh, you know, I have heard a lot of, you know, you know, commentary around what does the new e-commerce boom mean for, you know, in this new freight market environment mean for LTL carriers? It, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, as supply chains are kind of re-engineering uh, how they view things, how they work, you know, trying to position their inventory closer and more targeted uh, to specific markets, especially the rural areas that don't have as much density and coverage. Uh, you know, truckload carriers don't necessarily like to go into these rural areas because there's just not a lot of freight density. Uh, but LTL carriers go out in these places in general uh, anyway, uh, but, you know, not so much as they do as Parcel does, but LTL definitely has a better ability to cover a larger geographic area. 
uh, with smaller amounts of freight. And that's just what they do. So this idea that LTL is really going to be, you know, benefit from, you know, what we come out of in this COVID and post-COVID environment is not that far out of the question. So uh, Todd Maiden uh, interviews Recon Logistics uh, for this, and it was a really good conversation. I used to work in LTL, so I, I obviously have a big, uh, you know, reason to really be into this. But he points out a lot of really good points uh, about some of the headwinds in LTL. It's not just going to be about, you know, freight volume, freight moves freight. You know, we're, we're just going to make a ton of money because there's so much freight moving out there. There's also a lot of concerns around increasing costs, uh, network uh, instability due to freight mix changes, and also the fact that truckload capacity is part of their network. So if truckload capacity is disrupted and they're having, and truckload carriers are having trouble managing it, LTL carriers are basically like shippers in that respect where they're going to see uh, the same level of disruption to their networks. So when we're looking at this, I mean... It's always a good conversation, and I think it's always timely. I know it's not evergreen per se because it's talking about a current situation and how it's going to have some some long-lasting effects, so it is slightly evergreen. But one of the other things I, I really like about our, our writers is like it's applicable for a long period of time. And so one of the things that I – another article that I saw was written by Eric Coolidge. And so he was call, talking about the effects from their most recent COVID uh, 19 relief bill. This is the third one, and it is a large one. And so it was written before the actual stimulus was put out. And it's going to, even though it was written before it was actually put out, it's spot on. I mean, we're looking at how it's going to be impacting um, actual, well, not just the LTL market, but the air cargo market and what that's going to mean for the surge in e-commerce shipments. And so Really across the board, there's going to be near-term and long-term effects from this, uh, not just the winter storm, but just the uh, impacts and the events that's been happening over the last few months. Yeah, I, I think the air cargo market definitely has been, you know, in that uh, very volatile space, not necessarily used to having this kind of attention this time of year. They normally have like one or two little bumps uh, right around peak season for trucking and that, you know, a lot of the, the commerce that's moving around around peak season in November. And then they, it kind of goes quiet, uh, you know, but with the passenger cargo capacity being offline, uh, air cargo is, you know, they're going to come out of this looking different as well. You're not going to see the same uh, air cargo market that you saw pre-COVID, at least for the time being. Uh, I'm sure those passenger flights will come back online as soon as demand really starts kicking. Uh, but <clears throat> it's probably still not going to have the same look or feel that it had before. And I think that's really the point of the LTL article is that, yeah, things are going to be you know, we're, they're going to have more freight to move, at least for the time being, as long as the demand and restocking is moving. Uh, but the way that they handle this freight is going to change uh, as some of the supply chain management also changes with it, as well as new competition entering uh, a, a space that's honestly ripe for you know new entrants, uh, especially with UPS selling uh, just recently as well. So the next story of the day you know, this revolves around this ongoing, you know, maritime situation that we've talked about on numerous networks. We just talked about it on our supply chain global event uh, for several days. <laughs> and Greg Miller uh, writes, he, uh, he interviewed uh, Deutsche Bank, Amit Marocha, uh, on import bonanza. You ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> and basically stating that the import boom, it's not over and we're not even at the peak of it. And I'm going to show some data on this here in a little bit. Uh, but Point of this article is, you know, like we were talking about before, 
those inventory levels that you saw pre-COVID. So that inventory to sales ratio that we were looking at around 1.4, uh, 1.39, uh, you know, reported by the Census Bureau. That means one and, you know, almost one and a half months of inventory kept on hand. Uh, he's stating that a lot of companies are going to target a higher number after COVID because they want to de-risk their supply chain. Well, the problem with that is that they're increasing inventory costs. You, we've talked to Zach Rogers about this, uh, you know, a lot of times over the past, past couple of months, uh, how capacity for warehousing is at a premium right now, and it's not getting any more prevalent. So this is going to last for a while. Uh, we are, you know, in front of, you know, the stimulus bill coming out. And, uh, you know, I think we have a story talking about how the stimulus bill uh, is probably going to have another kind of exacerbating impact to uh, what we're seeing with this high demand environment. Aren't we, Anthony? That's right. And I mean, I just want to take a quick break here to give a quick shout out to those folks that are active on LinkedIn right now. We have our very own Tony Anderson in there, director of business systems at FreightWave. So, Tony, thanks for watching. Paul Sobrowski. Uh, president and COO at PS Transport. We have Peter Bull and Sergey Bolt. Bort. I messed that name up. But thank you all for tuning in. And Zach, you're you're exactly right. We're going to have a lot of great conversation about some of those impacts. And I think one of the other data points that we're going to be talking about is immediately going to be around that winter storm effect. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So let's dive right into it. So the first thing uh, we need to cover real quickly is what did this winter storm, winter event do to the freight market? So I've got uh, a visual aid here uh, for the outbound tender volume index uh, that I want to show everyone, uh, along with the outbound tender rejection index. So for those of you familiar with freight waves, this is no, this is not a new chart that you haven't seen before. This is kind of our our breadwinner, if you will, in terms of data points for measuring the aggregated aggregated freight market activity, outbound tender volumes, simply a measure of demand. So more shipping tenders being uh, you know, requested are sent over to carriers. That tender volume index measures that. And you see there at about mid-February, that blue line jumps straight up <laughs> uh, after having a little bit of a dip. Uh, so normally you think, oh, well, shippers shut down uh, right there in the central part of the country. A lot of factories shut down during that period because it's an ice storm and sub-freezing, power outages, et cetera, all the way into Texas. And then you think, okay, there'll be a recovery period for a couple of weeks. That totally opposite, like couldn't have been more wrong uh, in terms of seeing the scale of the recovery. So as the volume and the demand, uh, as those shippers came back online, they almost like went into this frenzy <laughs> um, and started having more activity, almost covering up for it. Well, you see right before the, the winter storm, we were trending like we were just headed right back to normal. Things were going to gradually recover. The freight market was going to stabilize. Uh, that green line there was this tender rejection rate. It was starting to move down almost below 20%. What that means is about one out of every five loads uh, was being rejected by carriers as they were you know, keeping up with either they were diverting capacity to the spot market or they didn't. They had too many network disruptions that they couldn't manage the freight that they were getting uh, online. So that's, you know, that was totally reversed in the middle of February and it's still persisting today. Uh, it's and, and that was, you know, a month ago. Normally you see a recovery period of a couple of weeks, but this looks a lot more like, uh, you know, I heard it. I actually read this. Uh, this was a lot more like Hurricane Harvey. Uh, than it was just a normal winter storm event that just disrupted the country's uh, transportation movements for a bit. 
uh, power outages, you know, chemical plants went offline. Some of the biggest, chemi- the biggest chemical plant in the United States went offline uh, and still hasn't fully recovered from this uh, winter event. So you've got supply chains already scrambling uh, and, they're, and they're continuing to have trouble. And this is, of course, all leading into, you know, what the point of today's show is. All these disruptions, while it looks pretty good on the surface, if you're a carrier out there looking at, you know, freight demand being up and, uh, you know, that type of environment where you are constantly looking for new freight to move to keep your trucks moving, uh, that's not necessarily a sustainable amount of freight because you see tender rejections jumped right back up over 25%, meaning spot rates uh, shot right back up too. And that leads to my next visual uh, in the van contract rates uh, versus spot rate comparison. Uh, so <clears throat> Freightways just released this van contract rate uh, you know, data point here in the past month or so. Uh, this is for van loads. Uh, so you're looking at what what's happening in the contracted freight market. Over 90% of this freight is contract driven, so long-term rate agreements, not spot market rates, which are represented there by the truckstop.com uh, van rate per mile index in green. Obviously, the spot market, very volatile. And you see that little peak right there at the end of 2021. That's your peak season value uh, for uh, you know the trucking market in general. Capacity comes offline, gets really tight, and then we start to you know we were sliding down rapidly in the spot market. You know we saw the same thing with our OTBI and OTRI indexes before, and now we've bounced all the way back up and over, according to Truckstop.com, uh, where we were at peak season levels, and now you see those contract rates starting to creep up as well. Some of that, of course, has to do with new contracts, new long-term rate agreements being implemented this time of year, which is uh, you know, pretty customary. But also, bouncing down route guides has that implied rate increase uh, you know, situation. So your second and third carrier options tend to have a higher rate or potentially lower service standard. And you know, this just means that you know, overall rates for transportation, these companies are going to have to budget for higher costs on transportation. We're talking about higher inventory costs already. And, you know, this is going to lead to something that, you know, those spot rates being over $3.20 a mile, that's not a sustainable uh, number, especially if shippers, one out of every four loads being rejected, uh, you know, shippers aren't going to be able to, you know, deal with that over a longer stretch of time, we've got, we're already on like month seven, eight, of uh, you know, increased spot market activity, increased spot rates. Contracts are slowly coming up. Uh, rates are slowly coming up, rate increases. But that just means that eventually all this cost is going to be transitioned into the consumer, uh, you know, and that's, that's the big question is our money will not go uh, as far as it did last year as inflation starts to take over which will also lead to lower demand. What are your thoughts on that, Anthony? So uh, interesting. So I was listening to your facts. I'm like, I'm wondering, I'm like, all right, Zach, I wonder if he thinks that rates are going to come back down. Are they sustainable? Are they going to remain up? But I mean, definitely a good, uh, and uh, I think point you just made about being passed on to the consumer. One of the areas that I think we were talking about before or just early on in the pandemic were rate increases and price increases on goods and services and how a lot of, producers of goods start to or keep prices low in order to maintain uh, their consumers just because they have an understanding that, okay, if I do a price increase during a time of a recession when the consumer is in a rough spot, 
I might lose some market share. So I'm going to take that hit. But this doesn't sound like a hit that they can keep taking for much longer. Is that right, Zach? Yeah. I mean, this is even though transportation spend tends to be a lower percentage overall of the cost of goods, uh, you know, it is creeping up and it's invading on the cost of other things, which are also on the rise, which I'm sure you're going to tell us about here in a little bit. But first, let's talk about some of the reasons that transportation costs are going to stay up uh, for a little while. Uh, One of those being a very talked about subject of late, the driver recruiting issues. There are numerous headwinds uh, mentioned in numerous articles, uh, experts across the industry about how driver recruiting has been a particularly difficult pain point. Now, I grew up in an environment where driver shortage was just like common language. And it was always kind of utilized as this tool to say, all right, guys, uh, we need to increase our rates. Well, it didn't go very far because there were always carriers that would come in around the side and say, well, I can offer you better rates. And that would kind of negate this driver shortage narrative uh, that a lot of carriers uh, would, would present. Well, this feels a lot more real and it looks a lot more real for you know some pretty legitimate reasons uh, in the way that we now have some new regulations in place from the FMCSA. We talked about it with Zach Rogers a few weeks ago. Uh, the drug and alcohol clearinghouse uh, situation, removing 1% of the driver pool <laughs> just right off the bat last year. Um, you know, we also have, you know, other industries really booming right now, like construction, uh, for now at least. Um, and, it, you know, that also kind of pulls people away uh, from the driver pool. And then this whole idea of the stimulus package that I've heard this narrative in other industries, not just drivers, not just transportation, uh, where people are getting these stimulus packages. And they're just kind of ghost applying to uh, to companies just so they can fulfill their you know application need to report to the government while they're on unemployment. Uh, so all these things coming into play are keeping the driver pool relatively tight at, at the moment, um, you know. And it's it's not really that glamorous of a job on the surface. Uh, you really have to want to travel a lot. Driving across the country is not for everyone. Uh, so that's probably not going to go away. Uh, companies can drop, buy trucks uh, you know, pretty much whenever they want, uh, especially now that they seem to have a decent amount of cash, uh, but that's probably not going away. Increasing costs. All of these things, increasing costs for the carrier, that's something that we often kind of ignore, uh, that increasing costs for carriers are passed along to cu- to their customers, which in turn get passed along to the consumers. Um, you know, they're going to have to spend more on keeping drivers. They're going to have to spend more on employment levels to make sure that the drivers are happy and well-serviced, uh, as well as making sure that all of the things that they have set in place, insurance costs, not a big uh, secret there that those have gone up. That's also going to have an upward pressure on rates that's going to keep them probably higher than they were pre-COVID in general. Um, some of the things that, uh, rates are going to reasons that rates are going to come down, uh, you know, bottlenecks along the supply chain. We may have, you know, if you saw that OTVI chart, it looks like we have this artificial ceiling right around 15,000, uh, you know, mark where not, you know, no more freight start keeps moving through the country. It's almost like this artificial like ceiling where the current capacity is limited right there. And then you have the port bottlenecks. You can't get the ships unloaded fast enough. You have the production bottlenecks where you can't get the uh, the goods produced fast enough. Um, and now you have the winter storm event where now you can't get stuff produced at all, and it's going to cost you a lot more. And all of this leads back to 
that uh, whole inflationary impact on the things that we are, uh, you know, consuming. Uh, and one last note before I hand it off to you for a little bit of e- economics. Uh, you know, I want to pull up our last, uh, you know, visual aid here for for this freight section about the maritime orders uh, and how, you know, kind of supporting Greg Miller's article and what he was talking about with Deutsche Bank. Um, this is our inbound ocean TEU volume index. Henry Byers helped develop this. Um, very good uh, index here to look at. Of this measures the total number of TUs that have been ordered to come uh, across the water. So these have these orders have not left yet. Uh, when you see this index, that dotted white line there, that's for the orders placed over the next seven days. So they aren't. They have not even left the ports uh, in Asia or wherever they're coming from yet. Uh, so this is about a you know right now it's about a three to six week lead time before that freight even hits uh, the surface transportation in, in the United States. So he looks to be about right on point as we see that even more orders than peak season of last year, more than we saw right around, you know, right before Chinese New Year, which is also kind of a pseudo peak season for the maritime side. He, I mean, it looks like we're going to have plenty of freight to move for the time being. So, Zach, real quick question. As we segue into some more econ, I have Adam Hall, who had a comment here on a video. Um, I have some thoughts on it, but want to run it by you first. He asked, any thoughts on unemployment benefits and the impacts on uh, transportation drivers? Yeah, I think I think I kind of lined it out there uh, real briefly is this kind of ghost application situation. They get their benefits. They know that they're going to be set up for a certain period of time. So they, you know, they stay out of the of the pool. Uh, you know, you talked about this on the employment side numerous times about how you weren't really believing those numbers being as low as they were because there's lots of, you know, miscounting and things like that, misapplying people to, you know, being in the, the labor market. A lot of these people are in the labor market, but they're not in the labor market. And I think that's that's definitely keeping these drivers out to an extent. Uh, you know, eventually it'll it'll go away. You know, the stimulus packages will eventually dry up, but it, it's probably having a little bit of a negative impact as we speak right now. Right. I mean, it's all about incentives, especially when you look at economics and these unemployment benefits. I mean, if someone would make more or comparably enough money on unemployment compared to where they were when they were actually employed during their um, normal position, the incentive is going to be, hey, maybe I can just kind of skate a little bit longer on this unemployment. And as we move and transition into some of these econ things and my skepticism coming up, (laughs) I have to talk about the ISM PMI. So Real quick, with the ISM, I have a, a, a little visual aid here. We have the most recent number for the ISM. This is a survey-based data point um, that shows that there was an upward movement up to 60.8. This is a 2.1 percentage point gain uh, for the month of February. So this shows that there's expansion within manufacturing, and that's going to be seen in the green line we have there, the ISM PMI. And in the blue line here, we have our flatbed outbound tender rejection index. And so as we see that upward movement in the FO chart, we see that upward movement as well in the ISM PMI, that survey-based data. And it's like it's, it's awesome because we have this month-to-month movement that's been kind of you know seen as an industry-leading point, but it's month-to-month. And so we have this day-to-day movement on the flatbed outbound tender rejection index on sonar. And so looking at that upward movement, it was I, I want to say it was easy to kind of you know forecast because I, I need to you know keep my 
my my importance here as an economist. It wasn't exactly that easy, but it's, it, it tells a story for you as you see that upward movement um, in that blue line, that that green line is likely sure to follow, uh, not just from manufacturing, but also from housing and, and building, uh, building materials as well uh, when we're looking at lumber. And that's something that we're going to talk about a little bit later, but looking at that ISM number, it can be, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, encouraging, you know, but you might say, hey, wait a second, this is survey-based data. Don't worry, there have been actually, um, you know, tangible data points that point to actual real-world impacts. And so we have our non-defense capital goods new orders report that was also put out. And so with non-defense capital goods, we have another visual aid here, and that's going to show a similar story to what we saw with the ISM PMI, with non-defense capital goods, new orders, we see that there was some upward movement as well in that orange line. And we had that preceding uh, movement in that blue line, of course, with that flatbed outbound tender rejection index. And so with these large macroeconomic indices, we do see that there have been several confirmation points within these macroeconomic reports that really confirm our expectations and continue expectations for upward movement within manufacturing. And so this is one of the things I love about the sonar data, how it's day to day. But one of the other things, and I don't know, maybe it's just because people find it boring, Zach, because, you know, the ISM has <laughs> a lot of really cool data points that are just broken out. They have new orders, they have production, they have employment, but no one seems to be talking about prices. And we have it up here. Prices are up to number. 86 and I've, mm-hmm. I know we've been talking about this here at Freight Waves for the past few months, but goodness, it's now up at 86. It's, that's a, a 4.3 percentage point movement from last month. And really, when we look across the board, we see commodities across the border up in price, and a lot of the commodities are in short supply. And so this is going to have implications to those new orders. They might start to build up, um, and we might start to see that seep into backlog of orders as those prices continue to increase. And so this is one of the inflationary pressures that we're seeing within different industries. I know when we talk about inflation, a lot of folks are thinking of like, you know, these goods that are going to be on the grocery store shelves. And that may be true a little bit further on down the line. Uh, but right now, what we're seeing is some upstream movements um, within manufacturing that might hamper some business to business activity. Although we do see continued momentum, there is some understanding for that there might be some uh, headwinds that might ease and slow down some of this upward movement that we've been seeing within manufacturing. Yeah, I, you know, that's that number right there that's, that screams at me uh, that we are going to see significant inflation. Now, I know you've talked about in the past, though, how inflation really doesn't take full hold until wages start to rise. Is that accurate? Yeah, so there's many parts to inflation. I mean, of course, mm-hmm. there's the money supply. Um, there's the, the one that I think is really keeping these traditional forms of inflation a little bit low right now is the unemployment rate, uh, unemployment. And so uh, that unemployment number is definitely going to keep inflationary pressures a little bit subdued, but it's going to be manifesting in other uh, areas. And now uh, we also have velocity of money that's going to also play another role. Um, you know, money exchanging hands, people keep spending or saving, things like that. But when we look at that unemployment number, as you mentioned, I am skeptical with these misclassifications, these initial jobs claims, filings in the correct way. So these are going to be areas that are going to really limit um, some inflationary pressures, but that's not going to, it's just going to transfer into a different form. So right now I'm expecting, or we are actually seeing inflationary pressures on other forms. So manufacturing is one of those housing and construction, even though we have limited inventory within housing construction, 
um, especially used homes, uh, existing homes, used homes, <laughs> existing homes, uh, <laughs> we're seeing those uh, in- tight inventories really pushing up those prices. And those prices are still being accepted by a lot of people. These homes are being snatched up. It's kind of inflated prices. I'm not saying it's a bubble, but I am saying that we look at stocks, we look at housing, when you're looking at even cryptocurrencies going up, when you're looking at these more and more stimulus, not as many people spending, even though we do have retail sales that are still up on a year-over-year basis, despite the last moderation in the previous report, we are seeing that individuals are still spending. And we have retail sales here. Will, real quick, last chart was another easier one to forecast because we saw that downward movement and the outbound mm-hmm. tender volume index along the same time frame of that retail sales for online goods um, being purchased. And so... That was really a, 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 a nice leading indicator for a leading indicator for the overall economy. Yeah. And of course, the PPI going up right now faster than the CPI, two traditional measures, producer price index and the consumer price index. Uh, you know, it's only a matter of time. We're going to see that CPI number start to increase, I believe. Uh, Anthony Smith, uh, as usual, we are out of time for our de- for our uh, day uh, here at Freightonomics. Hopefully you've enjoyed it and learned something along the way. Uh, download the Freightways TV app uh, on podcast players everywhere. Look up Freightonomics or look up Freightcasts and get every Freightways podcast available. And Anthony, you need to drink more water. Drink more water. Call your mom. 